This is Scott Richmond, the director for New York and New Jersey for ADL, the Anti-Defamation League, coming to you from the front lines. ADL is on the front line every day fighting anti-Semitism and hate, and this show brings that to you from the WVOX studios in New York. The battle against anti-Semitism and hate is not a new one. ADL has been waging it since 1913 when it was founded. In part one of this show, we discuss the world into which ADL was born in 1913, including the facts of the Leo Frank case, which epitomized how difficult it was for Jews in American society at that time. In this part two, we will discuss the founding and early years of ADL. To do this, I am continuing my conversation with my colleague, mentor, and friend, Kenny Jacobson. He is ADL's Deputy National Director and the longest-serving staff person at ADL, having worked for the organization for more than 50 years. Welcome back, Kenny. Good to be back with you, Scott. So, Kenny, let's start with the founder of ADL, Sigmund Livingston. Who was he? He was a German-Jewish immigrant, like so many came to the United States between 1880 and World War I. That's when the vast majority of American Jews came to America. Uh, And he was a lawyer. And he was, uh, of course, like so many, so glad to be in America, free of so much of the problems that Jews experience in Europe. But he was kind of shocked after a while of the level of anti-Semitic stereotypes that he saw in vaudeville and media and all kinds of things. And he was uh, really saying, you know, as wonderful as the opportunity for Jews was in America, it was also disappointing. Now, he didn't found ADL by himself. You actually mentioned in the first part of the show how he, he had 100 people sign on to this. Who were those 100 people? They were very well-known Jews at that time. Not that many names are familiar today, but, for example, Herbert Lehman, uh, who, became, who was governor of New York, was one of the signers. People who were prominent either, who had become prominent either as immigrants in the business world or maybe the intellectual world, uh, these were prominent people, as I said, not not people who we're that familiar with today, but significant people. When when these names were signed on, at least in the Jewish world, many of the names were familiar. And I've heard you describe the founding of ADL as both completely normal and completely revolutionary. What did you mean by these seemingly contradictory terms? Right. So the normal element was at that time, within a few years of the founding of ADL, the NAACP was founded to protect the African-American community. The American Jewish Committee was founded. And so immigrant and minority groups were beginning to assert themselves, to stand up for their own communities. And so in that sense, uh, it was a part of a time that things were changing and that people were beginning to stand up. The part that was more radical and unusual was the charter of ADL created by Livingston and the 100 signers said that ADL would combat the defamation of the Jewish people, means fight anti and also work for equal justice for all. And it was what we used to call the second part of our mission that was quite radical for a, a rather insecure minority community to say we're not only going to defend ourselves, but we're going to stand up for others. It was quite a radical Step, though I have to say that the sage Hillel 2,000 years ago said, if I'm only, if I'm not for myself, who will be? Stand up for yourself. And then he went on to say, if I'm only for myself, what am I? Meaning there was some history of saying you got to go beyond your own community. I think so many people associate ADL with fighting anti-Semitism and uh, they don't, they don't see the, the sort of larger mission that the organization has. Although, 
Um, you know, maybe tell us a little bit about what it was like in those early years. What what did the organization actually do, and and how well did it manifest uh, this the both both parts of this mission? Well, the truth is, uh, the fact that it was in the charter of ADL historically became so important because when the country was ready for uh, what became the civil rights revolution after World War II. The fact that it was in the original charter, which was kind of the constitution of ADL, gave ADL legitimacy to become involved in those issues when the country was ready. Before World War II, from 1913, pretty much up to World War II, there were two elements that made the second part less relevant to uh, the mission of to ADL's activity. One was anti-Semitism was rife around the country, and we had plenty of business dealing with anti-Semitism. And two, society was not ready with anti-discrimination laws, with education, with a whole series of things. The country was not right for a movement on civil rights and protecting other minorities. So those two things together, the importance of anti-Semitism and the country not being ready for civil rights, meant that ADL mostly before World War II had two major things. It was dealt with anti-Semitism in America and exposed extremism in the country. Give us a sense of what that was like. Uh, its first five to ten years, maybe 15 years, uh, what, what kind of work did it do? Some examples, maybe. Well, I mean, I always like to uh, associate the fact that anti-Semitism was such a mainstream issue. It wasn't on the margins as a as later on in the, say, post-1970 up till recently where anti-Semitism existed, but it wasn't so much. By the fact of, of four names who are all figured, the first name is Leo Frank, who we've talked about, the lynching of a Jew, which was traumatic for the Jewish community. The second name was Henry Ford, the founder of the Ford Motor Company, an American idol who disseminated the protocols of the Elders of Zion for years from his newspaper. The third name was Father Charles Coughlin, who had a radio show in the 1930s that millions listened to every every Sunday night, and he expressed the most blatant kind of anti-Semitism. And the fourth name is Charles Lindbergh, the tr- a true American hero, the first solo flight uh, across the Atlantic, who in 1940, when the war with Europe was raging, said the only people who want to drive us to war are the all-powerful Jews. And the point is, by quoting these names, it shows how American heroes could express the most blatant form of, a- of anti-Semitism. So ADL really had to begin to expose it. With Henry Ford, we, we produced pamphlets and tried to get him to do it. Uh, you know, we, we, we developed some of the techniques of, of exposure and shame and calling on people to denounce such kind of things. But I have to admit that these things were not fully formed before World War II. Even there was even an element of insecurity where some in the Jewish community said, you know, if you talk too much about these things, you're going to make things worse. So there was a lot of ambiguity that really changed after the war. But having said that, we became the experts on that and combating Nazis in America, for example, in the 1930s. The FBI, three days after Pearl Harbor, came to ADL headquarters in Chicago to look at our files on Nazis because they could not do so before because we weren't at war. And ADL had already become the experts on Nazi activity in America. I guess that's what you meant by fighting extremists. Right. Yeah, that was exactly as a book. 
uh, by Stephen Ross called Hitler in California that really describes the efforts by Nazis to commit violent acts against Jews in California and how ADL and former ADL employees were the main people uh, trying to counteract that. This is a, a world that I, I heard about from my grandparents. All four of my grandparents came from Poland in the 1920s. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, this was the world that they came to from a very anti-Semitic world in Poland uh, to, uh, to, to this environment. Yeah, th this was, uh, in many ways, the 1930s was the peak period of anti-Semitism in America. There was a susceptibility. It wasn't only that Nazis were active. There was a susceptibility. You know, we, those were difficult times. And, you know, a lot of... During the Great Depression, of course. Yeah, and a lot of conspiracy theories and a lot of willingness of people to, to blame Jews for things. So it wasn't... Again, it was nothing like Europe and obviously nothing like Germany, but... But uh, but it was, I would say, uh, it was a really uh, a challenging time and one that really, again, reconfirmed for ADL how important the mission was. Before we conclude this time travel, give us a sneak peek. Uh, this fledgling ADL came into its own after World War II. What were the features of a more mature organization at a time of, of less outward hostility towards Jews? Well, I would say it was both content and structure. We... First of all, we became a much more sophisticated, we developed uh, a civil rights division. Later on, we developed an international affairs division. We really became a sophisticated organization, from, and we developed a regional office structure to cover the entire United States. So there was the structural side. And then on the content side, uh, we, we really uh, we did several things that we had not done before, but mainly we did both parts of our mission and international affairs and something that important element of ADL. Kenny, I am simply in awe of your extraordinary understanding of the sweep of history and, and your important insights into the founding and, and early impact of ADL. Thanks for all you've explained over two shows, for your service over five decades, and, and for being on today's From the Frontlines. Always a pleasure to be with you, Scott. And a big thank you to you, the listeners, who tuned in to From the Frontlines, either live on WVOX 1460 AM or as a podcast. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or on Spotify to ensure that you do not miss a show. Just search for From the Frontlines. And please engage in these important conversations throughout the week by following me on Facebook and Twitter. My handle is at Scott A. Richmond, and our hashtag is fighting hate for good.